Hey everybody, this is Mike Van Meter from the Mike Van Meter Show, and thank you again for joining me for your one-stop shop for everything having to do with conservatism, freedom, liberty, and frankly, just the right way to live. Now, folks, we have spent quite a bit of time on this podcast talking about the pandemic and the damage that it has done to the nation. And being here in Virginia, we cannot allow this to happen again. And I can promise you that if I'm elected to the Virginia State Senate, I will do everything in my power to make sure that we do not respond to this pandemic or any other the way that we did. And what I mean by that is shutting down our schools, shutting down our businesses, shutting down our communities in ways that create much more damage than they help. And what I mean by that specifically is mental health, where I'm going to talk about mental health today. We can, we, we're going to do up other episodes where we talk about the economy, where we talk about crime, where we talk about all kinds of things. But today, I want to focus on mental health. And the reason why I want to do that is because, as many of you know, I, have, I work in the mental health field now uh, as an addiction counselor at a hospital, and I have a frontline seat to all of the devastation that this pandemic has brought us and it is really bad and folks if you've not gotten the email about fentanyl being bad i'm telling you it is bad 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 and it's a horrific uh inexcusable thing that we're doing right now and not making that the number one priority uh or healthcare priority in this country, and specifically here in Virginia, where I'm, I'm seeing the devastation. And I did a previous podcast where we talked about how fentanyl has made every state a border state because it's affecting every single state in the union. And again, I can tell you that if I end up in the Virginia State Senate, we're going to do everything that we can here in Virginia to do what we can to stop the flow of fentanyl coming into the state because it, it has to end. But back to the topic at hand here, and that is the, the pandemic. Uh, you know, early on, I said to friends of mine that historians will look back at this period of time and say they will, cannot believe that we handled the situation the, the way that we did. And what we never did, and in the beginning, I understand it was, it, we didn't know what was happening and we had to shut things down. I got that. I understand that. But as time went on, we really didn't adjust, if you think about it. As more data came in, as more, uh, we, we got the vaccines and the data came in and we realized that this was a uh, virus that was really targeting certain people or people who were at certain, you know, there were certain categories of people that are much higher risk than others. And frankly, children were not people that were at high risk for a number of reasons. And I won't relitigate that here right now, but there was a lot of reasons why children were not at high risk of transmission and certainly dying from uh, COVID. And we didn't adjust and say, all right, but let's let's target this, our approach, and deal with those that are at high risk, and then allow everyone else to go on with their lives. And what we are seeing now is that there is so much uh, devastation and problems, and problems that were, it's going to take years, decades, or if ever, really, to recover from. And what I want to do today to demonstrate this to you and, and elaborate on this a little bit more is uh, talk about an article that was in the Washington Post. And, you know, these are not conservative people by any stretch of the, the, 
uh, <laughs> the word of a conservative, that's for sure. Uh, but they did do an honest article about this whole thing. And in the title of this article, and it was released on December 5th, and it was written by De- uh, Donna St. George and Valerie Strauss. And the title of the article is The Crisis of Student Mental Health is Much Vaster Than We Realize. And I, much vaster than we realize. That doesn't sound right. It seems like much more vast than we realize. But either way, that's what they chose to name the article. And I'm not going to read every part of this, but I want to go through some of the key elements of this to demonstrate what we're talking about. Um, <clears throat> the article says this, nationally, adolescent depression and anxiety, already at crisis levels before the pandemic, have surged amid, amid the isolation, disruption, and hardship of COVID-19. Even as federal coronavirus relief money has helped schools step up their efforts to aid students, they also have come up short. It's unclear how much money is going to mental health, how long such efforts will last, or if they truly reach those who struggle most. And we're going to talk about uh, how even money flowing to the schools does not necessarily solve the problem because we don't have the resources even if we have the money. And I'll talk about that here in a minute. So the need is real. The need is dire, said Alberto Carvalho, superintendent of the Los Angeles Unified School District, who recalled hearing just that day from the district's mental health partners that calls about suicidal thoughts had quadrupled. It quadrupled. We're living through historically unprecedented times, he said, and he's talking about mental health issues, and we could talk about addiction issues as well. More than 75% of schools surveyed in spring said their teachers and staff have voiced concerns about student depression, anxiety, and trauma. And that's according to federal data. So nearly uh, nearly as many schools cited a jump in the number of students seeking mental health services. But mental health is not the only pandemic priority. Schools are spending vast sums of their coronavirus relief money on ventilation upgrades, expanded summer learning, and after-school programs, tutors, and academic specialists. And that's because kids were not going to school. The federal spending plans of 5,000 school districts nationally show that more than one-third intend to bring new mental health professionals into schools, and about 30% plan to fund social-emotional learning efforts, according to an analysis by uh, uh, Future Ed which is a think tank at Georgetown University's McCourt School of Public Policy. This is an incredible increase in the amount of money being spent and the number of districts pursuing it. Phyllis Jordan, associate director of Future Ed, said, but it is still, Africa, but it is still as I could say, not nearly enough. And what, what uh, Kelsey Thice, president of the Texas Association of School Psychologists, says is we simply don't have enough people in our profession to meet the need. So I've talked about that on this podcast before, and that's a problem all over the country, and it's it's certainly true here for us in Virginia, that you can dump as much money into mental health as you want, but the fact is there aren't people that are in the profession, people that are licensed and qualified to do this particular job. And one of the things I've talked about in my platform is advocating for more people and incentives for people to go into the mental health field so we can fill that gap. Folks, money is not the solution to everything. Money is nice. Money helps. And if you have the people that can do this job, it certainly will help. The problem is we just don't have people to do the job. 
And we need to do a better job at incentivizing people and encouraging people to go into this field. It's another form of service. And those of you that have seen my website know that those that have been in the military, those that have been police officers, firefighters, particularly those in the, in the military, I really want to encourage you to go into the mental health field and help your community because you've done a phenomenal job in serving your country and serving your community and working in the mental health field is just another form of service. And me running for public office is just another form of service. So we want to take your skills and we want to help you get the education training and the licensure that you will need to do this job. And we can do that. So it goes on to say that in many areas, even when money is in hand, hiring is not easy. As the school year opened, nearly 20% of schools reported vacancies in mental health positions. And that's according to federal data. So schools often said they employed too few staff to manage the caseload, but also complained about difficulties finding licensed providers, the data showed. So that's exactly what I was talking about. And I will tell you this from experience, uh, the experience I have right now, those of us that are working in this field are overworked and underpaid, absolutely overworked. Um, the, the shifts that I do can be brutal at times in the hospital. And, um, and I know that every mental health worker that I know feels the same way. So in Maine, waiting lists grow, uh, grew so long last year that school counselor Tara Kirstead began looking out of state for therapists who had openings, a solution that was not practical for many families. So what they're saying is they got to go out of state to find people to, to work as counselors. And if we do this nationwide, there just isn't going to be enough and enough people to do this. It was the hardest I've ever had to work to get resources to people, Kirsten said. And I, so, I know some kids who were never seen. So Surgeon General Vivek Murthy called out the devastating effects of the pandemic on the youth mental health in a public advocacy uh, advisory last December. Earlier that year, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and the Children's Hospital Association together declared a national state of emergency in children's mental health. They pointed out that young people of color were especially affected and linked the struggle for racial justice to the worsening crisis. So once again, the, the people that are most affected by this are people of color, the people that uh, are underprivileged and don't have access to these resources. And uh, they, these are not people that have the ability to go out and hire a private counselor, psychologist, um, psychiatrist. And these are areas where I really think that the state can do a lot more to help people. And, um, and again, that's something that I want to work on as we uh, get closer to the election, because th this is something that needs to be prioritized. And these resources need to be available in schools because, like this article points out, many people just don't have the resources on their own. So <clears throat> not long after the pandemic started, researchers began to document declines in child and adolescent mental health. And the numbers are stark. So hospital emergency room visits spiked for suspected suicide attempts among girls ages 12 to 17, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And from February to March of 2021, the number jumped by, listen to this, 51% compared with the same period during 2019. So two years later, it went up 51%. And I can tell you, I'm not surprised at that because when I work in the hospital, 
that is exactly what I see. And by the way, uh, they're not even talking about uh, alcoholism and drug addiction in here and, and fentanyl. That's another discussion for another day, but it's pretty bad. So for boys, the increase was 4%. Early research from MIT, MIT suggested the suicide rate for people aged 10 to 19 increased in 2020 and uh, compared with before the pandemic. And and I like I say, I see that every day. More recently, CDC provisional data for 2021 showed an increase in the national rate from 2020 to 2021, especially for people ages 15 to 24. So in other research, the CDC found nearly 45% of high school students were so persistently sad or hopeless in 2021, they were unable to engage in regular activities. Now, I want to run that by you again. Nearly 45% of high school students that now almost one in five seriously considered suicide one in five and nine percent of the teenagers surveyed by the cdc tried to take their lives during the previous 12 months a substantially larger percentage of gay lesbian bisexual and and uh questioning students reported a suicide attempt so if you're gay lesbian lgbt uh the rates go up much higher so family upheaval, meanwhile, was widespread, particularly in the early pandemic. Nearly, listen to this, 30%, nearly 30% of students said an adult in their home had lost a job and 24% said they went hungry for lack of food. That is why we can never, never approach an issue like this in the way that we did again. And I will do everything I can to make sure that that never happens. So there are no directly comparable pre-pandemic studies the CDC's director of the Division of Adolescents and Schools Director said, but they said the student well-being is significantly better for teens who reported feeling connected to, to their schools, a problem, for, a problem for a population that nationwide was kept out of them for so long. So um, what they're talking about here is during the pandemic, really the last thing we should have done was close down the schools because with all of the upheaval that was going on and all of the negative negativity and all the issues that we had going on school was really the place where kids felt connected so there's 20 years of research showing that it not only has an important uh an impact on how young people do while they're adolescents but it has 20-year impacts on all kinds of measures of health including emotional well-being suicidality and substance use she said she's talking about uh schools so being in school is important for years to come even after you're not in school. It also left many children grieving. More than 230,000 U.S. students under 18 are believed to be mourning the ultimate loss, the death of a parent or primary giver, in a pandemic-related loss, according to the research by the CDC, Imperial College, London, Harvard University, Oxford University, and the University of Cape Town. In the United States, children of color were hit the hardest, another study found. Again, hitting children of color. This, the way we responded, had a real negative impact on people of color. It estimated that the loss for black and Hispanic children was nearly twice the rate for white children. All right. So, folks, this is just a, a devastating article on how we responded to, uh, you know, to the pandemic. And... We have to rethink this. And one of the things I would like to do once I'm in the Senate here in the state of Virginia is put together a panel, discussion groups, and working groups on the state's 
response to the pandemic and ways that we can more effectively deal with this. I mean, it was just like we were crippled during this time. Crippled. There was no leadership whatsoever, and we have to fix that. And anyway, this article goes on to say that national research from 2019 showed that students of color have not received equal access to school counselors. At that time, 38 states were uh, were shortchanging students of color, students from low-income families, or both, according to the study done by the Education Trust. And so that's really just um, uh, low-income people and people of color. Again, schools can be, if run properly, places to get uh, people in these categories the help that they need. As the pandemic has persisted, students have spoken out in Nebraska, Arizona, Connecticut, and Washington. Uh, in Seattle, students who formed the Seattle Student Union to promote racial justice decided this year to push for mental health support in schools. Good for them. I agree with that. And uh, Shintan Sony, a 17-year-old who co-founded the union, said there are too few mental health professionals to meet rising student needs. The district told him it doesn't have the money, he said. In in a I, I agree with him on that. Uh, there is no money being put into, or not enough money, rather, being put into these uh, uh, programs. But then again, we also need to have the qualified folks to, to do it. Um, so Seattle teachers who went on strike in September included uh, a call for more mental health support for students as one of their bargaining points. The strike settlement included part-time social workers at most schools, a sign of progress, Sony said, but not enough to help all. Students are suffering from the pandemic, and so many other things, too, he said. And uh, anyway, it goes on to talk about the things that we need. And um, one of the results of these deficiencies, more students are acting out. Last year, nearly 40% of schools nationally reported increases in physical attacks or fights, and roughly 60% reported more disruptions in class because of student misconduct according to federal data. And Las Vegas officials reported several alarming attacks on teachers. In Louisiana, fathers at a Shreveport school showed up to help keep the peace after a particularly heated week of student fighting. Um, National test scores also plummeted to levels not seen since 1999. And and this sent off a, a wave of alarm amongst educators, many of whom consider the mental health crisis a contributing factor. So school administrators across the country are clear-right about the students' worsening mental health, many of them strategizing about school initiatives that might help. And, um, you know, it goes on to talk about some of these strategies. But, folks, really, here's the bottom line. We need to have leadership. We need to have leadership at the national level, at the state level, at the local level, and we just did not see leadership, did not see it during this pandemic. We've got to get people in that can make decisions. We have to get people in that know what they're talking about. We have to have people that have the spine to make hard decisions and have the experience in education, dealing with law enforcement, dealing with mental health issues, dealing with addiction issues, and people that you can trust to put together systems that will work for the the good of the people, for the good of the people of the Commonwealth of Virginia. That is critical, absolutely critical. So as the race goes on in this next year, you're going to see my opponents are going to be talking about hatred. They're going to be talking about division. They're going to be pitting people against one another. They're going to be attacking me. There's no doubt about that. 
But what you're going to hear from me is how we can move forward. We can make the Commonwealth of Virginia the greatest place to live in the United States. And we're going to do the best that we can to help every single citizen. Because after all, the primary role, the primary purpose of the government is the protection of the people. And, you know, there's different ways that you protect the people. You, you protect them physically, which we're going to work on. You educate them so that they can go out and thrive and have a chance to succeed in society. And we need to protect them from foreign invaders, of course. We need to protect people from crime. And then we also need to allow people to thrive in the economic environment and not put roadblocks in the way of their success and prevent them from being the best human beings that they can. Because each and every one of you is a great human being. You have potential, great potential, untapped potential. And life is hard enough. And the government does not need to get in your way and slow you down. And that's exactly what happened during the pandemic. And I give you my pledge that if elected to the Virginia State Senate, I will do everything that I can to ensure that the government helps you reach the potentials that you are capable of meeting And if you do not meet your potential, it's going to have nothing to do with the government. But we cannot allow government actions to shut down our businesses, shut down our schools, and prevent us from being the economic power that we are, the intellectual power that we are, and to live our lives in freedom and liberty. And so with that, folks, this is Mike Van Meter, The Mike Van Meter Show. And you know what? Check me out. I'm, I am I now have a website up, Van Meter Virginia. Please check that out. And if you can donate to the campaign, that's going to be a fantastic help. But I am on Facebook. Uh, I have a email address if you want to reach out to me and contact me and ask me questions. And that's Virginia at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter as well. And folks, I look forward to hearing from all of you. And as the campaign ramps up, I'm going to be putting myself out there and meeting all of you in person. And I really look forward to it. You guys take care of yourselves, and I will be talking again with you soon. 